I'm just reminded I'd promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. Biff, bam, pow, let's take a trip into the Batcave for Batman Land. There's a problem. Better let us handle this. A weekly discussion of the 1966 Batman TV show. Each week we're joined by a guest. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. We need him now. Where we discuss the Batman episodes that aired this week on SBS Viceland. Let's go! When I'm not spelunking my way down to the Batman Land Cave, I'm Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and a digital editor at SBS. Of course, I need someone to squawk along with for this Penguin-centric episode. And so I've got my old pal here, Fiona Williams, who's screwing up her face at the idea of squawking along. I wasn't expecting that. Hi. It's all I had. <laughs> Let's go with it. Does the penguin squawk? Does the penguin squawk? For the purpose of this podcast, yes. Let's say he does. <laughs> uh, now, of course, we're not here in the Batcave alone. We are joined here by a guest, as we always are. And a big welcome to the Batman Land Cave, writer, comedian, Batman fan, Justin Hamilton. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks Look, for coming. There's something about the idea, like an offer being made of, do you want to come and talk Batman for half an hour? Yeah. People just jump. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the great thing is is that, like, I turn 45 next week, and I'll be honest, this was a highlight uh, <laughs> to come in and talk about uh, the TV series and just talk about Batman in general. So, uh, yeah, plenty of thoughts for you. Yeah, fantastic. Now, we usually kick this off with a little synopsis as to what happened, because I'll be honest, I've watched both episodes, and I never really quite know exactly what I've experienced. Well, allow me to recap, <laughs> recap this for you. So, things get a bit topsy-turvy this week as the Penguin comes into town, but he cleans up his act, and he starts saving Gotham City's elite from would-be robbers and kidnappers, and it's the dynamic duo who become the wanted felons. And things then get mighty weirder still when Chief O'Hara guns down Batman and Robin in a hail of bullets, and... And it looks like it's going to be curtains for the Cape Crusader. Or is it? <laughs> well, we'll find out. Now, I love the openings of this episode because it had one of the strangest um, conceits that we've seen from Batman so far. Because we're here for the Gotham matinee of the theatre. So there's lots of very well-dressed people coming out. But as our narrator tells us, we're in an intermission right now where everyone's set to enjoy a refreshing orange drink. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the, the specificity of an orange drink made me <laughs> yeah. laugh a lot. Yeah. That must be a hell of an orange drink. Like, I appreciate that it's the middle of the day and you yeah. don't really want to go too hard. Yeah. And we are dealing with Gotham's finest as well. Not the police, but, you know, right. the well-to-do... The hoi polloi. Yeah. The hoi polloi, exactly. They just want a glass of tang. Apparently. <laughs> well, it's crazy as well because when you think about it, like, Gotham is meant to be this, you know... It's meant to be sort of like New York, but with costume people running around and, you know, you could, you know, you could go to the theatre and at any given point you can be killed by a clown, but these people are so fine with it that they're just fine drinking orange juice. Yeah. Now, a clown does make his appearance very briefly in. Yeah. Where a gunman dressed with a clown face. Mm. I actually thought it was uh, Cesar Romero from the distance at first. I thought the same thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you do get the crossovers where every so often a different villain will appear in an episode. So yeah. I thought there was going to be some sort of fun crossover right up, but not the case, just some guy. No, it was, he, he looked like um, one of the guys that helped the Heath Ledger Joker in uh, the start of The Dark Knight who just kind of wandered in from the wrong movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now he ends up holding people hostage to get their jewellery and this kind of gear. And there's an interesting moment where this woman, Sophia Starr, as we find out her name is later, she's a red-haired lady and she's there, she's about to become a victim, she gives away a necklace and the Penguin steps up and proves himself to be a hero in the situation, confusing us all, as per the synopsis. Mm -hmm. He breaks out like a bulletproof umbrella that, you know, helps the machine gun fire and yada yada. Details. Yeah. <laughs> but he ends up getting the necklace back and gives it back to her. And when that 
happens, there's like this weird chemistry between the two of them that she's grateful to have her necklace back, but maybe a little too grateful. Totally. Uh, I don't quite want to talk about this, but there was a physical state that she seemed to enter as she was receiving this necklace back. When then they hook up and then they go and get married or they have a wedding um, ceremony. Does does the penguin have some kind of weird testosterone that just uh, really sets the women on fire? You know, you know, those guys (laughs) in life that you look at and you think, why are women attracted to you? But they've got some kind of pheromone. Yeah, the penguin's got the Kevorka. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I think he has. Oh, yes, penguin. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. we can talk more about Sophia Star's. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, this later. We, we, women was... love a squawky, uh, you know, guy who has trouble opening one eye. Yeah, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> oh, my dear Pengy. My poor little sick bird. I, I was really sort of uh, thrown a little bit by Alfred, his tone when the bat phone started ringing this one. He seemed really, really put off by the <laughs> idea he had to answer this phone. Usually he picks up the bat phone and there's a certain sense of commitment that he has to his role within this. But he just sort of said, yeah, and just... Interrupting his dusting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, does he have so much going on that he can't just deal with it? And then he goes off to tell Batman or Bruce Wayne that there's someone on the phone. He comes up with this ridiculous K. Rhymer's called. What an unfortunate name for an investment counsellor. K. Rhyme? Sounds like... Crime. Right. Yeah, like, you saw this. Like, did it sit right with you? Yeah, I, I, I was actually just having trouble. Why did it, Why couldn't it have been C-Rhyme? Like, yeah. why did yeah. it have to be K-Rhyme? And it's not like uh, the, the aunt didn't pick up on the word crime. So why was that a choice by Alfred? I reckon, I reckon what had happened was they'd run out of the bat metamucil and poor Alfred was feeling a little bit, you know, on edge. That's my, that's my take on the whole thing. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about it because a little bit further into the episode, we find out that the penguin's out and mm. he's supposedly reformed. So we are of the belief that he's been let loose through the justice system. Mm. You know, justice has served its course. He spent his time in prison. But we saw him how many weeks ago? It's clearly just been a couple of months. Like, what is the justice system in Gotham City to allow the Penguin, you know, major criminal to go into prison, spend just a few weeks there, and he's out already, fully reformed? Like, no wonder Alfred's pissed to have to deal with the bat phone <laughs> ringing all the time. Yeah. The poor guy's overworked. Yeah, and it's a revolving door of the uh, justice system there. Um, well, this happens every week. but And normally, Bruce Wayne slash Batman is banging on about rehabilitation and the merits of mm. um, of all of this. But here he's mighty suspicious. Yeah, and he, yeah he, he's not into it, is he? Not at all. Like yeah. they call him because the Penguin's done, done the right thing. He gets the call for something good happened. Yeah. What do you think, Batman? Has the Penguin really gone straight? It's a tough one. When that bird turns snow white, it could be merely a tricky whitewash job. Right. It just doesn't quite compute. And yeah. I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed the beatdown by uh, the chief and the commissioner. With like, <laughs> they were just, it was one of the most polite beatdowns I've ever seen. No wonder that guy didn't break. He was like, "Oh, these guys are delightful. I'll hang out with it them." It wasn't more. homicide life on the streets, was yeah. it? <laughs> no, not at all. Oh yes, that interrogation's kind of a bit weird as well. Yeah. Where it's sort of set up, kind of in the very first episode of the '66 Batman, it's a little bit darker, mm. and there's the sort of allusions to the fact that Bruce's parents had been killed, and that's why he took on the mantle. And there's a lot more sort of darkness and shadows, and they really lean into this for this one scene, and then the rest of it is just brightness and skittles. Right. But in this one, you got like Batman who starts standing in front of this guy being interrogated, gets like the shadows out and the cape, and Flaps starts sort cape. of flapping it around. <laughs> yeah. And like yeah. Robin's behind as well. Like it just seemed out of place for where Batman's at right now. Mm. And then the strange thing is, like I noticed at this point, Batman or rather Adam West as Batman 
there's a thing you notice as the show goes on that he fills out a little bit. So yeah. <laughs> he gets a bit more comfortable in life, I'm guessing. He's getting the good yeah. paychecks. Yeah, he's yeah. spending it well. Not the struggling actor that he probably was a few weeks prior. And, you know, he's not necessarily in full bat physique, as one would expect. And that costume, let's be honest, doesn't hide much. Right. Okay, like it's a very skin-tight thing. But that belt was up remarkably high, like right yeah. under the chest. And you have to think, maybe the Batman costume's a little bit, you know... Man, he was starting to look like a, a bat pensioner with how high <laughs> the belt was, wasn't it? It was like just under the nipples almost. Precision, Dick. Precision. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Speaking uh, of which, the Penguin, there's a scene where he's basically eating his weight in sardines <laughs> when the phone call Okay, now, in. I don't really eat sort of um, fish-based foods, but sardines, as far as I know, don't look like noodles and mayonnaise. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have no comments to make on that, really, yeah, not eating yeah. them myself. But no, it was it, disgusting. Yeah, a bucket of sardines. Yeah. Something fishy here. There sure is. Yeah, now the rest of the episode is kind of um, fairly standard. Uh, it's really mind games between the Batman and the Penguin from that point in. Penguin's trying to prove his value as a PI, I think he's trying to bill himself as. Yeah. Yeah, protecting all the jewels. Penguin Protective Agency Incorporated. And there's just a couple of like really brief things I wanted to point out along the way. So when we cut right to the end, so the entire scheme seems to be based around the idea that he's going to marry the woman from the very beginning of the episode. Of whom, you know, they've been courting. The essential idea seems to be that he is taking all the gifts that have been allocated to him and his soon-to-be bride, and he's going to steal them all and run away. But, yep. like, why is he going through all this effort if he's half-owner of these gifts anyway? Like, it's the wedding gifts. They're coming to him anyway. So why is this his big loot that he's, like, working towards here? Yeah, not real sure. There is a couple of flaws in that plan. It's it's overly complicated, isn't it? (laughs) It is. It is. Just go and steal the stuff. Yeah. One by one. Why go to all that? Like, he's going he's gonna to spend a lot of money on the reception. Like, you know, he's going to lose all the money putting on the wedding. He's going to have to do the catering. It's going to be, it's going to just go and steal the stuff. That would make things a lot easier. Exactly. But no, he's setting off fire alarm. Um, yeah. It's raining in the ceiling and yeah. all those prop umbrellas. It's yeah, too much. It's like, we're used to convoluted plots on Batman, mm, well, but yeah. come on. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I, I want us to maybe end with a conversation about the big set piece in the two-parter which seems to be this chase scene that was happening through the streets of Gotham where, because the Penguins convinced the police that Batman and Robin are actually no good, and he actually forces Batman into committing a crime. Mm. Okay, like They steal the jewels with the idea they're going to replace them with fraudulent jewels and then expose the Penguin, but they're committing a crime to do that. So Batman and Robin, tsk, tsk. But when that's all happening, there's this chase that happens where Batman and Robin are running away from the police. Chief O'Hara, the incompetent Chief O'Hara, is just firing bullets all over the place. (laughs) Okay, which we do find out later were blanks. But even so, I don't know. It didn't seem 297 rounds. Yeah, of blanks, which cost more than regular bullets, as we find out. Imagine your nerves. Imagine your nerves being a Gotham person, (laughs) you know, just hanging out and just hearing 297 rounds of uh, fire going off and it's just, oh, yeah, it's blanks. Oh, yeah, no worries, you know. (laughs) But there is this surprisingly dark moment where Batman and Robin are shot to death by the Gotham Police Department and they're just lying there in this alleyway. They chuck a blanket on them and cut to the (laughs) funeral. It's a bit traumatic. I'll call a morgue. Don't feel too sad, boys. You had to do it. There's nothing so tragic as a good crime fighter turned bad. Considering uh, 
how his parents were murdered, don't you think he would have had some kind of valley flashback with that whole scenario? So, so Batman sort of carrying in the corner with like a nam like flashback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like it feels uh, incredibly uh, unfair to him emotionally. Yeah, yeah, the PTSD just be kicking in, <laughs> going overtime on it. Yeah. Uh, for a bit of nerdery, I just wanted to point out because I'm obsessed with the Warner Brothers backlot where so much of this is shot. The camera shot as you see the Batmobile driving past and they keep going backwards and forwards from this one point from within a building. It's a strange camera shot. I was trying to work out where it was and the actual building that that camera is located when you go back and rewatch this episode, as I'm sure you will, uh, the actual camera is located in what becomes the Daily Planet building in the Lois and Clark TV show a few decades oh, later. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. The that more is you a, know. Yeah. That's a good nerdy pick. That's good. That's well oh, done. Something. Yeah. <laughs> Fiona, what yes. are your thoughts on this episode overall? Well, um, it does go to some dark places. I mean, you know, mm. faking the death of Batman and Robin. But also the cliffhanger itself is pretty dark in the um, the sideshow alley where they're suspended behind a curtain and the penguin oh, yeah. is encouraging the um, incompetent Chief O'Hara and Commissioner <laughs> Gordon to just fire away at what they think uh, is an outline as a silhouette on a sideshow alley. Yeah. But shoot through and there goes your dynamic duo. So I, that that's a pretty good cliffhanger. We've had some pretty ropey ones of Aunt and Harriet suspended up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Of whatever that <laughs> yeah. was. But this one. But you, you know, this good. one, I think uh, that ending kind of reminded me that, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, I was on edge mm. as a kid because mm. I didn't realize how funny it was when I first saw it. And yeah. that, as a cliffhanger, like if I'd seen that on a Friday and I had to wait until the Monday, which in kid years is like 10 years, yep. that would have been the worst. That yeah. would have been a hell of a cliffhanger. Justin, let's role play for a moment. Oh, okay. Finally. Thank you. I'm the penguin. Yes. You're Commissioner Gordon. Okay. Okay. We're here at the end of an episode, mm -hmm. and we know it's been 20 minutes of adventures, so yes. the cliffhanger's probably coming sometime soon. Yes. Okay, Batman and Robin, you don't know this, okay, but are suspended right behind here. I'm telling you to fire a gun at what seems to be, I think it was just a balloon against the wall. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm the Penguin. I'm telling you, Commissioner Gordon, fire this gun. Are you going to be listening to me even though I'm enticing you with $1,000 going towards the uh, Gotham Police Benevolent <laughs> Fund? <laughs> Like, okay, like, like, I'm telling you to fire a gun and I'm really adamant you should fire a gun. Yeah. With your knowledge of me, the penguin... The known yeah. felon. The known yeah. felon. You, 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 you would think that Commissioner Gordon would suspect something, <laughs> like just something, just a little bit of a moment of thinking, well, we've gone through some stuff in the past. Exactly. And fair <laughs> enough, Chief O'Hara next to him, incredibly incompetent as right. a chief. Yep. And the theory going on Batman land is that he's not actually a police chief at all, but he's just some guy of whom has been brought in and kind of acts like he's a police chief and not just humouring him more right. than actually really engaging in right. allowing him to do real police work. But like, he's fine with the idea of shooting because the Penguin says so, but you're Commissioner Gordon. You're, yeah. you, know, you know what you're doing. Well, you, you would think he would know what he was doing, but Let's just go back to the interrogation scene <laughs> and remember that. Kind of so sums point. up everything, doesn't it? Fair point. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, this episode, I have to say, usually I find the first episode's uh, like great and the second episode is more just wrapping business up. Mm. This one, I love that second episode. There was mm. so much fun and excitement going on in it. I think as Batman and Robin were on the lamb and there's kind of like this sort of <laughs> dynamic shift. One final thing I want to end on. Okay, so Batman and Robin, their deaths have been faked. Okay, obviously the police know, Chief Ahara seems to know because they had the fake bullets and mm -hmm. obviously they had to collect the bodies and whatnot. Batman and Robin, as all this is unfurling, is down in a back cave. They're doing Batman-related business. Upstairs, the very worried Aunt Harriet because she's seen that Batman and Robin have been killed. And also Alfred Pennyworth is he's genuinely grieving. upset. He is grieving because these, this man that he has raised since he's a child has been brutally murdered on the streets of Gotham. 
Didn't anyone think to tell Alfred? <laughs> you could send a message up the bat poles. As we like to do on the Batman Land podcast, we like to find out our guests' experience with Batman. Like, Justin, who's your Batman? Uh, I kind of have, like, three that I that I enjoy from, you know, the different eras. Uh, first of all, I've always loved the Adam West Batman because, you know, when you think about it, for all the iterations of Batman, you have to go through the origin of he sees his parents murdered and that inspires him to become Batman. And what I love is the Adam West Batman not only becomes Batman, he, he he's a groovy one. He can do the Batusi... <laughs> <laughs> He's just calling everything bat this and bat that. He's having a, a really wild time. And so I, I enjoy that Batman because it, it somehow he's like the optimistic Batman, isn't he? He's like, oh, God, I saw my parents murdered. Oh, I guess I better fight crime. And then he's just having a great time while he's doing it. So I love that version because it's so different. But always thinking of that origin in the back of your head always makes it a little bit funnier for me. Now, I'm thinking that he would have been your Batman growing up entirely because when the Michael Keaton came along, you would have been early to mid-teens. Uh, right? Yeah. I, yeah. You know what? I, I've, I've, I've come around to the Michael Keaton Batman, but see, I was a... Um, I just read Frank Miller's The Dark Knight yeah. as separate issues when it first came out and uh, and then, uh, you know, Batman Year One and all that kind of stuff. And so I wasn't into it. I wasn't into Michael Keaton. <laughs> I loved Michael Keaton, but I wasn't into him as Batman. It wasn't mm -hmm. right for me. Uh, but over, you know, as you kind of get a little bit older and you kind of calm down about your, your firm views, I actually uh, enjoyed him a little bit more. What was it that had you bristling there? Because I'm thinking that the Dark Knight and Year One Batman are generally quite dark Batmans, yeah. whereas Michael Keaton's also a reasonably dark Batman. Yeah. Or was just maybe sort of camp elements of Tim Burton's Batman just a little bit too much to... Yeah, I think, you know, I probably didn't quite pick up on the uh, the subtlety of uh, of what he was doing, uh, you know, when you go back and watch Keaton, he's actually bringing a lot more to it than I remembered as as a kid. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now I thought it was fine, you know, like it just uh, I, I wasn't into the Joker's origin being a part of Batman's origin. You know, the Joker's always much more interesting when he when you have no idea who he is or why he does what he does. Yeah. And clearly you're a comic fan, so you'll yeah. probably come off the Killing Joke as well. Oh, which, the Killing Joke, yeah. Yeah, yeah which, I, which I loved as a kid. And for uh, those that don't know it, it's kind of like a Joker origin story, uh, sort of. I mean, sort of, you could buy into it maybe being an origin for him, but maybe yeah. not. It's written by the brilliant Alan Moore and the fantastic artist Brian Boland. And, uh, you know, in that comic, he says that he remembers his past in different ways. And I, I feel like that's uh, one of the elements that Christopher Nolan took for... Uh, the Joker in the Dark Knight. But I love the uh, Adam West Batman. In the comics, I'm a big fan of uh, Grant Morrison's run on Batman <laughs> yeah. and in particular when Dick Grayson becomes Batman because uh, the character of Dick Grayson is a really fascinating character in the world of comics because he's one of those rare characters that's grown up. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone else is static. You know, Superman's Superman, Batman's Batman, Wonder Woman's Wonder Woman. But Dick Grayson started off as a kid and through all these different writers over the years, he, he went to college, he he grew mm -hmm. up, he he took he shook off the mantle of Robin, he became Nightwing. So when he becomes Batman and the dynamic with Bruce Wayne's son Damien becoming Robin, you had the calm Batman and you had the homicidal Robin. And yeah. it, was, it was just a really good dynamic. I love that uh, run so much and I... I wish Morrison had been able to write, you know. He, I had the opportunity to interview him, actually, and he said he would have gladly written that Batman for another 10 years, you know. Yeah. Um, I always find it fascinating when you're talking to, like, the comic nerds. Yeah. Because they always go straight to the Grant Morrison run. 
Uh, last week on Batman Land, we had Blake Howard, who is a hardcore Batman fan. Yeah. And pretty much exactly what you said, he said to us verbatim as oh, well. Oh, really? Which I just think is fantastic because you can really tell people's Batman from the way they are approaching the character. Yeah. And yeah, you're clearly coming at it from a very similar place as Blake last Yeah, week. yeah. Oh, I'll yeah. have to sit down and uh, some, exchange <laughs> some notes. That sounds great. To be honest, my favourite Batman is uh, the Christian Bale Batman. I'm a, I'm a massive fan of the Nolan films. I personally think the third film is brilliant. Uh, I don't see... I think a lot of the criticisms of it are kind of incorrect. Like, I know that's saying people's opinions are wrong, but, you know, like, people say, oh, yeah, but Bane sounds funny, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> like... It's it's meant to sound funny, like it's highly entertaining. Yeah, like he, yeah. he is funny, like and and it, and it, it's a funny voice. And you know, if you don't understand how a funny voice can be with someone who is physically scary, then you've never been in a pub at five in the morning, <laughs> stuck talking to someone who does sound a bit funny. But you know that if you just at one moment look at them incorrectly, they're going to break a bottle over your face. Like that's <laughs> that's what he's doing, and it is it, it is funny. Yeah. And uh, when you go back, uh, I think um, I think. What people don't understand with the third parts of movies is that, of course, the second movie is going to be great because the second movie is always going to be the best because there's a world of possibilities that it can be. But when you make the ending to something, well, then only certain beats can happen. And, of course, it's going to finish in a way where, you know, if you want him to die, you don't want him to die or whatever, you, if you go in with some firm views. But I, I love the third film and I, I think it's also a really interesting meditation on grief and lots of people say oh batman wouldn't have quit well you know what batman's changed all throughout history he used to shoot people he used to have purple gloves like things changed this was nolan's batman this batman did want to quit and i think that's and that's why i'm into it because i feel like this bruce is someone you can you can kind of relate to and you can understand and i think that third film even though he's not mentioned and there's not even a passing glimpse of the character, I feel like the grief that Nolan feels over the death of Heath uh, Ledger is permeated throughout that movie. And I think it's a stunning ending to the trilogy. Yeah. How do you feel about the fact that Christian Bale Batman doesn't really dance? Oh, mate, like, you know, yeah. I, I, I couldn't understand why when Bane came up to him, if he did the bat to you, see, like, that yeah. fight's all over, you know? <laughs> they would have come best friends, they'd be down at the bar. Yeah, and, yeah. that would have been a hell of a turnaround, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, uh, and also, um, if uh, I've done the three movies at IMAX in uh, in Melbourne, and uh, when you see that third film uh, closely, uh, it, it lines up with Batman Begins quite beautifully. There's a lot of, uh, you know, the, the, even though it's a trilogy, it, it, it's 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 a trilogy of two halves, and and the first half is you know this really exciting moment where this guy overcomes his fear and he he goes all the way and he's he, you know at the start of the Dark Knight he and Alfred are having a good time like they're mm. taking down the bad guys things are going really well and then from the moment Rachel dies it becomes a completely new storyline and uh, when you knowing the way Nolan likes to structure things it's a uh, there's a very circular kind of uh, pattern to the to the whole movie and it's uh, stunning so uh, that Christian Bale's my guy and I'm into the Batman voice you know like I know <laughs> I know it sound people can make fun of it and, and laugh at that but I kid you not I reckon if you're in an alley and some dude turned up just like that and gave it a bit of that voice man you'd be hoping to wear the brown underwear that night wouldn't you right now, speaking of voices, you said uh, the concern about seeing that guy at three in the morning of whom could, you know, just sort of bane oh, yeah. out on you. Yeah. But the other thing that happens at three in the morning is usually people break out their best bane impersonations. Yeah. 
And I was wondering, like, do you have a Bane impersonation? Uh, Question uh, without notice. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's always the cup, isn't yeah, it? It's on. always the... <laughs> he I, says I, yeah, French I, in the I, cup. No, I haven't done this. Uh, I, I, to be honest, this is not going to be very good because I have not done this in ages. It's fine. But it we, is, can, we can do multiple takes. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, no, I feel like I'm cheating if I do it that way. But the, it, it is, you know, I would be a liar if I didn't say, you know, uh, with my friend Will and that you hang around and sometimes you would just discover that you've been going, what are you doing for comedy today, Will Anderson? Uh, that was more of a fuzzy bear. But anyway, you know, uh, <laughs> as I said, haven't done it in a while. But yeah, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. I love Tom Hardy as well. I think Tom Hardy is such a, you know, he's such an elemental force of nature. And uh, I, I, I think he is quite terrifying yeah. in, in that movie. But also, you know, really funny. Like when the kid's singing and he's there going, oh, what a lovely, lovely voice. That's a funny line. Like that's a funny moment, you know. My problem is now I'm just always going to associate the character of Bane with Fozzie Bear playing him. Oh yeah! Imagine yeah. that. Oh, well, that's a heck of the, the Muppets go to Gotham. That's the that's what we need to see. If that's not on YouTube by in twenty minutes, then yeah. we're doing our jobs. Yes, yeah. come on, people, get yeah. to it. It's like a let the games begin. Waka waka waka. <laughs> yeah. You can have Chief O'Hara and the Commissioner up in the uh, being Statler and Waldorf. Now this is a question. Through all the other incarnations of Batman, so mm. through the various animated shows and mm. the movies, we've never really seen Chief O'Hara come back. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? I was actually yeah. just thinking that uh, yeah. when I was uh, looking at the uh, episode today, and it's like you see Harvey Bullock. You know, he's been reimagined uh, from the comics to the cartoons to the movies, and yeah. uh, Mons Hoyer. His, yeah, 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 yeah. Lucius Fox, the great uh, and dearly departed uh, Len Wein, created him. You see him, so. You, how, how would you reimagine mm. Chief O'Hara? Like, do you make him, is he a dirty cop or is he the useless cop? But, you know, like a good guy, but a little bit useless. Rough diamond with a heart of gold kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe, you know, maybe he could have been um, the guy that uh, gets angry with the Joker and uh, ends up uh, allowing him to escape. That, that would have been great if that had mm. been the reimagined uh, mm. O'Hara. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Harvey Bullock took over the O'Hara role, I guess, yeah. in the Batman world. Yeah, 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 yeah it's fascinating. Just less Irish. <laughs> Very less, less Irish. offensively Irish. <laughs> yes. Now, usually we wind up this podcast with what we've learned from Batman this week. But before we do, just as a courtesy to Justin for coming in, uh, you've got some shows coming up and there's some stuff with Rove that you're doing that I thought was really oh, yeah. kind of exciting. So we're doing a, we're doing three nights at a Giant Dwarf. It's a live show called The Popular Experiment. And uh, basically uh, the idea is there's so much entertainment out there spread across so many different platforms, it's really difficult to know where to look to find stuff. So our show is going to help shine a light on some of those things. So we've got uh, we've got some regular guests. We've got the guys that do the Mike Myers podcast. Oh, yeah. Mike, Mike Check. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So they're going to be uh, trying to convince us why we should be into Mike Myers. <laughs> and uh, Tegan Higginbotham is going to come up and be reviewing uh, TV shows for us. We've got some guests that are going to be coming up. We're going to have like Merrick Watts, who's finishing up uh, radio. He's going to be coming in and talking uh, industry stuff. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, it, it, because it's live, you know, there's that, that excitement of of, uh, well, whatever happens here is going to happen and we're not going to cut to a commercial. So we'll be doing that. And I'm also uh, writing and performing in a play for the Yak Festival at the end of November called Three Dances for John Tilt Animus. And that will be... Uh, if anyone likes the ambiguity of Twin Peaks, <laughs> then this will be the play for you. So is this a comedy? Uh, yeah. 
comedy-ish. Yeah, yeah, comedy-ish <laughs> is a very yeah. Well, the, because the Yak Festival is it's the first time they they're ever doing it, and it's a festival of different ideas and you know coming at comedy from different angles. And you know, I do a lot of stand up, and I, and I love stand up, but I saw this as a real opportunity to break out of the the clockwork structure of it and uh, explore some ideas that are maybe a, a little bit heavier for. You know, doing a gig at the comedy store on a Friday night. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And both the popular experiment and your play will be performed in Sydney. Uh, Sydney at Giant Dwarf. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. We should wrap up with what we've learned from Batman this week. Uh, Fiona, what did you take away? Sure. Well, um, there was one hint at the Commissioner's origin story. Um, there's just a throwaway line from Sophia Star, um, hinting at his previous career at the Department of Sanitation that was enlightening. I missed that entirely. Yeah. Right. Well. That's what yeah. I learned. The remote-controlled Batmobile. That that made an appearance this time with right. that little teeny tiny remote control that yeah, the little Batman wheel. was controlling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's tiny, isn't it? Yeah, it didn't have much of a turning circle, so I don't know what that was about. But, um, yeah, that, that was enlightening. So you didn't take life lessons away this week, but rather you took away lessons about the inner world of Batman. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was quite terrible this week for me. <laughs> uh, Justin, how about yourself? It was a it was an emotional lesson, which is uh, just because you know that a leopard doesn't change its spots, like give it time to do something <laughs> wrong. Like don't push the fact. Know what's going on. Keep an eye on it, and uh, don't get too ahead of yourself because that's what I felt like the Cape Crusader did this week. Yeah. Just a little bit too ahead of the game. Bit minority report. Yeah, it really was, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now I learned two things from the show this week. Like Fiona, I kind of got caught in a minutia of the details of the world. Yeah. And I learned that Batmobile is not equipped to safely transport arrested criminals. Like you'd think that one of the main things Batman would be doing is arresting criminals and taking them to, you know, a place to be picked up. Not the case. When he catches the penguin and his henchmen, his goons, um, Eagle Eye and Dove, he just straps them to the front of the Batmobile with some very poorly tied um, ropes. <laughs> Bit like, loose. Yeah. Yeah, he's not getting his scout badges with that one. He's getting the yeah, the bat Oki strap out. <laughs> But, like, what I learned from my own sort of personal growth as a person, and I took it away maybe from the penguin slightly, which is that ultimately when it comes down between the love of a beautiful woman, love you, a wealthy woman at that, instead maybe choose a life in prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a bit of a punchline, wasn't it? Yeah, um, like right at the end. Star, like, this woman's throwing herself at him and is like, oh, women, and goes running away to prison. Yeah. Mind you, codependent much, well, Sophia. That was a bit unusual. <laughs> She'd have some issues going on. But yeah. Okay, so this is the end of another Batman Land for this week. We'll be back again next week. Don't forget, check out the program. It's on SBS Viceland every Friday evening at 6.30 or 6.35. Uh, check it out. If you missed the episodes, it is on SBS On Demand and Sunday afternoons get a bit of a replay as well. If you like this podcast, leave a review. Helps other people find the show. I'd like to give a big thanks to Fiona, as always, for joining me here in the cave. Thank you kindly. Uh, Fiona, people can find you on Twitter. They can, at anything but Fifi. And Justin Hamilton, thanks so much for coming in and you're on the Twitters as well. I am uh, Justin Hamilton underscore. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is actual and underscore. Don't write underscore. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, people can find me at the Dan Barrett. And if you are tweeting about Batman Land, use the hashtag Batman Land. Helps people follow the conversation. We'll be back next week. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. 